0: Well, good morning. My Twitter feed is full this morning of actually really great fodder for conversation this week. Uh, there are opinion pieces virtually everywhere you look uh, today about the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court of the United States. And so let me encourage you um, to be reading what david brooks is saying what chelsea sibolik is saying what russell moore is saying pretty much if i've platformed them here on this program and they've got something out there today that they're saying uh david french let's i mean let's let's be actually listening to those who um are evangelical christians and are tempered in their speech and their understanding of the things of the world and let's be reading them and let's be seeking to understand what they're saying uh, if we are looking for talking points, let's certainly be using the talking points of people who are Christians and who we respect uh, in terms of political engagement. Today, we're going to talk frequently in, this week and in the coming weeks about uh, Amy Coney Barrett. We'll be uh, we'll be talking about the protestations against her nomination, um, and then we will be talking about her confirmation because that's going to happen. Um, so. We got plenty of that ahead today. Uh, I want to lead off this hour with an observation because we just gave this a glancing blow a few weeks ago, and I think it it it's worthy of our um settled attention uh and I don't want us to lose sight of things just because the political uproar of of the conversations of the day tends to be very attention grabbing um, a few weeks ago, there was a 13-year-old boy with, with Asperger's. So he's on the autism spectrum, lives in Utah. His mom um, called the police because she needed some help. He, um, he was, let's say, having a, a breakdown, an episode. He was in the street in front of the house. He was screaming. She wanted the police to help her um, get him a mental health admission to the hospital um after the police um shot this 13-year-old boy with autism um and it's pretty devastating footage and it's all over the internet if you want to watch it um the conversation about the things that we ask law enforcement agencies to do um and the consideration that maybe complementing sending out officers with social workers when the police are asked to respond to mental health calls in our communities. Those conversations are on the rise, and so I want um, I want you to be engaging in your own local community. I want you to reach out to law enforcement. If if you live in a town, then I want you to reach out to the police. If you live in the county and you don't actually live in a town, I want you to reach out to the sheriff's department. Whatever is the closest. Um law enforcement jurisdiction to to you and your life. That's who I want you to reach out to and I want you to ask them how many mental health calls they're getting. How what percentage of the calls that they are responding to are mental health related. And then I want you to ask yourself whether or not and I want you to ask them whether or not they perceive themselves to be adequately trained to make those kind to respond to those kinds of calls. When we when we have a conversation about how we need to do things differently in our own communities. We need to ask law enforcement to be doing law enforcement. Is it fair to them, and is it right in our communities to be asking them to do things that are not law enforcement? That's the community policing conversation, the reform conversation that we as Christians Um, can be helpfully engaging in. Maybe there are ways to send someone along with law enforcement when the request for the call is actually not law enforcement oriented. Just give that a little thought. Noodle on that a little bit today. Um, All right, next up, I've got Dr. Linda Mental. She and I are going to talk about learning We're also going to talk about kids and emotional eating. And I'm pretty sure I became an emotional eater when I was a kid. And so this conversation uh, is relevant to those of us who are adults who might have learned emotional eating when we were kids. Dr. Linda Mental is up next to talk with us about that. We'll be right back. This is my fire. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mintel. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. You can also find her at DrLindaMintel.com. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you, Carmen. Okay, so I'm a disciple, therefore I am a lifelong learner. Uh, Let's talk about becoming a super learner. We're, We're back at school and you have posted for us seven ways to make yourself a super learner.
2: Yeah, this is uh, out of a lot of research that shows what happens to people who become lifelong learners. And that's really the goal of any student, I think, is to not just learn during their time, you know, in school, maybe in grade school or high school or even in college, but to continue that process through life. And so there are some very specific things that people do that make them uh, a lifelong learner and it can start it in grade school. And that is to get your kids to read. Everybody knows the importance of reading, but getting your kids to actually read books, and that's quite a challenge today because uh, as my as my nephew put on one of his social media platforms, what's a book? And I thought, oh, okay, we need to get books back in the hands of kids, even if they're online books. But reading is a way of opening up your, uh, your mind. It gives you d- diverse opinions. It helps you see perspectives of other people. It builds empathy when you read. So getting kids to read, number one. And then if you think about what makes a real learner, it's helping kids understand that you can try things and you can fail at things. And this is one of the things we've really lost in this whole kind of snowflake culture that we call it, You know, you have to have kids try things and maybe fail. And then when they fail, rather than, you know, embarrassing them or having a stigma about, well, that didn't work. What was wrong with you? Why did you try that? Rather saying, okay, what, what didn't work? What could we learn from that? How could we make it better? And if you look at all the great inventors or people that have been very successful in life, a lot of times they failed and failed and failed until they finally figured it out, got it right and learned from those failures. Are really important to help people see that you need to try things, and if you fail at them, just learn what you did wrong and, and try again. That's developing what we call a growth mindset. And this is a, a big buzzword in the in the psychology world these days, but a growth mindset really is someone who has an openness and says, I can grow, I can learn. And I think this is very consistent with the Christian faith. Because obviously, we're trying to grow, and we're trying to learn, and we're trying to mature in our Christian faith. And when we do something wrong, we repent, we look at what we did, we try to figure out how we can be do something better and more in line with the obedience of, of Scripture. So it fits with all of that, that it's better to not think, oh, this is all inborn, you know, I'm either smart or I'm not, or I can I have talents or I don't have talents, but rather start to think, okay, I can, with hard work, with applying myself, with... Learning from my mistakes and moving forward, I can really change the way I think about something.
0: Um, So, the curiosity one,
2: um, number three, number three
0: on the list. So, I'm going over a list, by the way, of seven ways to make yourself a super learner with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find what we're talking about at drlindamental.com. Learners read. Learning is a lifelong process. It's not just studying for a test. Learners are curious people. That for me is, um, all of these are true, but that for me is like uh, encouraging curiosity, um, wonder. Um, I I just think that for Christians, that's just so important. Um, And then learners have a growth versus a fixed mindset. Growing up in every way into Christ was sort of what I got thinking about there. And then I found um, number five, like really interesting. There's a rhythm to all of this.
2: Learners take breaks. Right, and you know, I work with medical students, so they have to learn just volumes and volumes of information, so we do apply this principle where you go 50 minutes, because your brain gets really tired, and then it loses focus, and you can't really, you're getting somewhat of a fatigue in your brain, so you take 50 minutes, you really concentrate hard, and and this would be less time the younger the child is, and then you get up and you take a 10-minute break, so moving around, you know, getting a drink of water, doing something to kind of jump around, maybe do some jumping jacks, do something, and then go back to something or take a different type of information and start to study it. The The brain gets much more engaged when there's novelty, so taking that break and trying to refocus a little bit later is really important. You know, that's why kids can't sit there for hour after hour after hour. Neither can very bright medical students. After a while, they just get fatigued and it all runs together and they're not remembering things. So, this whole idea of good study, take a period of time, then take a break, get up and do something, change it up a little bit. I think that's one of the reasons why you see kids changing classes a lot of times in high school. They're moving from one class to another class, they're getting up, they're moving. It's one of the concerns I would have with kids just sitting at a computer all day and, you know, listening to lectures or trying to be in their virtual classroom or whatever they're doing without these breaks and getting up and moving and all the things that we do in a normal, maybe high school or or middle school.
0: All right. The last two things on the list. Learners can teach other people. Um, Definitely, if you have learned it, then you are able to communicate it to someone else. Um, and then learners engage in brain health. I think this is really important: the ru- the good routines of sleep and healthy eating and exercise that actually contribute to um, to brain health. All right, Linda, you and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, can we talk about kids and emotional eating? Absolutely. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Morning, morning. Continue my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find um, both of the articles that we're talking about today, and tons of other really great resources at, uh, at Linda's blog, which you're going to find at drlindamental.com, and then you're going to click on blog drlindamental.com. So, Linda, let's circle back and finish up the conversation um, about being a super learner, um, because I know that you wanted to you wanted to emphasize the point about how we sort of know whether or not our kids have learned
2: something. This came came about because so many parents have asked me, you know, when I ask my children about how they're doing in school or they're studying a subject, they usually go, I got it, mom, or I have it. Don't worry. I know it. And what I'm always encouraging parents to do is ask them a concept from any kind of class. So it could be biology. Ask them about cell division or in algebra. Ask them to explain the difference between the X and the Y and, you know, whatever it is that they're studying because what you find out, and kids don't always know this, is that when they try to tell their parents what the concept is or what the thing they're learning is, or I had a friend who said, okay, explain to me what the First Amendment is. This was to her college student. And the student actually had no real understanding of what the First Amendment was when she tried to explain it to her parents. And her mom and dad went back and said, you know, you need to read up on that because you're really. Obviously, she got her ideas from social media and not from any real understanding of the Constitution and what's involved. So I think when you're really trying to understand a child and get a view of where they are in their learning, ask them to tell it to you as if they're giving a little five minute presentation or a minute presentation or what i would do with med students is i would do something called speed rounds i would just make them take a concept and explain it to me in just a few minutes and if they can't do that it means your child doesn't really know the concept as well as they could so that's just a little good tip for parents because parents are always wondering you know they, they thought they knew it but then they did so poorly on their quiz or their test And I would say the best way of learning is you teach it to each other. You explain it to another child or you explain it to your parent, and that will give them a good idea of where they stand. All right. And after they've explained to
0: you the X, Y in algebra, then when they get a little older, you ask them to explain the X, Y in human anatomy and biology.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. it gets a little trickier when it's a calculus, little trickier mm-hmm. yeah when mm-hmm. calculus was on the table and i was doing that but you know it's really funny is that um it's interesting when you look at ben carson's uh, history and we 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 know now that his mom could not read and yet his mom would require book reports from him and look at you know take them and look at them and then make sure that he was doing it just the idea of accountability to her and to Absolutely. have to do something for someone else makes a big difference so Chief. even if you're not the best you know try it just try to have them explain it to you you might have to get on the internet and look it up when they're talking but yeah you see. might learn something there you go becoming yeah. the students of our children is not a bad
0: thing all right let's uh let's talk about kids and emotional eating first of all what is emotional eating when do we sort of learn it as a pattern and how do we break it
2: well we all do it because uh most of us in america now there are some communities where there's food scarcity and people are hungry and i i know that that's true but for the average household, probably listening to you today, it, most kids are not dealing with actual hunger; they're dealing with, you know, an abundance of food. Uh, several years ago, Carmen, I did a, a a PBS special called "Surviving Abundance," and this is when we had a lot of conversations about childhood obesity when Michelle Obama was very big on that topic, and it was a good topic because what happens to so many kids is when they're they're bullied or they're Neglected, or maybe their parents are working and they're coming home. They're latchkey. They're by themselves for a couple hours in the afternoon. Uh, back when we were into school every day, a lot of kids would deal with their emotions and their feelings by opening the refrigerator and just eating. And so they would, you know, grab a lot of snacks and and use food like so many of us do as adults. To medicate any type of emotion or feeling and then what happens is you start to develop a habit of that so you feel bad you go and you grab a cookie or you feel you know sad and you go and you get ice cream and there are some effects that these sugary and fat foods have on you immediately but the long-term you know problem with obesity and uh what it does to your endocrine system and metabolic system and all those things is not good in the long run so We don't want to be teaching kids from an early age that when you feel a little bit empty or even when you feel happy, uh, one of the things that you always do is you go to food. And that has been ramping up during COVID-19 because a lot of what we can do is be in the house and eat when we can't do other things. So we have to be really careful when we're teaching these habits to kids.
0: And then um, let's just say we developed – bad emotional eating habits as kids. How do we break them as adults?
2: You really have to you know get into the idea of what is triggering my eating. And so I have, you know, I didn't lose it for life, a book the bestseller on, on this and press pause before you eat. And I have a book for kids on raising healthy weight kids All of this is the basic thing is, are you hungry right now and helping kids or yourself as adults distinguish what what is hunger, real hunger feel like? So am I getting dizzy? Is my stomach growling? Am I feeling a little bit lightheaded? The things that are natural when you when you have hunger during the day versus I just want, you know, I just want to eat that brownie. So one of the ways you can do that really quickly is to say, if I ate an orange right now, would I be satisfied versus am I just fixating on that bowl of ice cream? Helping kids understand the difference between hunger and, you know, emotional eating. And then what is your trigger? So a lot of times what I did in my work with kids would be like, when you're sad, what do you do? When you're happy, what do you do? When the kid teases you, what do you do? And a lot of kids early on will, with kids that develop eating disorders, will store, will grab food from the house and then when they're in their room, they're sitting and they have, you you could find candy wrappers under the bed and, and you know, tr- treats because they're trying to medicate themselves with their feelings, they don't know how to cope. So obviously the real solution to this is figure out what the emotion is, the trigger, and then help them come up with better, healthy coping mechanisms just like you have to do with an adult. So, what do we tell adults? We say, well, when you have that urge to eat, what else could you do? And I would go as far as having adults put 10 things on a refrigerator that the moment I want to eat and I'm going to that refrigerator, I have to pick one of those 10 things, which might be, you know, take a walk around the house. Um, you know, go and and turn on the TV. Do something distracting. TV isn't always the best because there's lots of food commercials and that triggers people to want to eat. But anything you can do that's a distraction, that's a substitute behavior from eating, because you have to break that habit of I feel bad, I want to eat, and you have to learn to substitute and cope with some other way. You know, read your Bible, uh, begin to pray. Those would be great ways. Ask you know, ask the Holy Spirit in you to help you overcome this. And usually, if you can go about 20 minutes without grabbing the food, the urge starts to decrease. And time after time of doing that, you'll start to break that emotional eating habit.
0: It's so helpful. We need constant reminders about it because it is a discipline. And I think that, you know, the two conversations are linked. Um, This is an area where, as adults, many of us need to sort of go back and relearn new patterns of behavior. And so thank you for um for helping us do that. Dr. Linda Mental, always great to talk with you. You guys can find the articles we talked about today and so much more at drlindamental.com and you can hear Linda right here on the Faith Radio Network on the Dr. Linda Mental show. Linda, thanks.
2: All right, have a great week. Great to be with you. Too. You
0: too. We'll talk again soon. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. All right, it's Monday, so we're going to look around the world, and we are going to have a conversation with David Aikman about what's happening out there. We're going to bring the mind of Christ to bear. We're going to talk about developments in Belarus, Armenia, China, the Korean Peninsula. We'll see how much further we get than that. That's up next here on Morning with Carmen.
1: John chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 reads as follows. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This is Max Locator. The miracle of Christ resulted in not just an abundance of wine, but the abundance of good wine. Something powerful happens when we present our needs to Him and trust Him to do what is right. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. So make your specific request and trust Him to do not what you want, but what is best. Remember, friends, you are never alone. This is Max Locato.
3: My name is Bond, James Bond.
0: And joining me now David Aikman editor of Godspeed magazine welcome back sir
3: thank you very much to be with you on Monday
0: yes happy Monday um why don't you bring us up to date on what's happening in Belarus
3: well Belarus as you know has had demonstrations for the last three weeks because many citizens there uh, believe that the election which uh, President Lukashenko claimed was the vindication of his 26 years in office, was completely rigged. And not only had a demonstration been banned by security police, but many people have been arrested, beaten up, and actually tortured by them. And that issue doesn't seem to be going away. I don't think the people of Belarus... Are going to quieten down any time soon, and the implications are very serious, of course, for Belarus's neighbour, Putin's Russia. So, how Belarus deals with these continuing protests is going to be very interesting for weapons in Russia.
0: Okay, we're going to continue to keep an eye on things there. Um let me just go ahead and say I I had not had my eye on Armenia. Uh apparently Azerbaijan, uh we've got a flare up there. I mean, I'll just admit to you David, there's a lot of us that don't think about um these particular places around the globe. So help us go from, you know, focused on the things that we might be focused on and get us focused on um on this issue. Uh, In Armenia?
3: Well, uh, Armenia has an enclave um, of Azerbaijan. And uh, the Azerbaijanis are, of course, uh, tend to be militant nationalist Muslims. And the Armenians are, of course, very nationalist Christians. So there's been a great deal of tension in uh, in an area of Azerbaijan that that creeps into Armenia called Nagorno Karabakh, and the the Armenians have been very upset by this. And so, because of the animosity between the nationalist uh, Muslims of uh, Azerbaijan and the nationalist Armenians who are Christian, that controversy, that tension has been proceeding for at least a decade as long as I'm aware of it. So it's, it's very difficult and there doesn't seem to be much sign of anybody who's able to reduce the tensions between the two communities.
0: Yeah, I even misspoke when I said that it's in Armenia. It's actually in Azerbaijan, but it is a portion that is that continues to be controlled by uh, people who are ethnically Armenian. It this is a um, this is going to be a. Uh, uh, let me just admit to you, David. People in America are pretty much not paying attention right now to anything other than that which is happening within, you know the. Uh, the U.S. political process, and if it's not right. directly related to the U.S. political process, I would say that most Americans are completely unaware of it. We did actually not know, like people are dying, um, in you know what is now essentially a war front um, uh, between these these communities in um, in in Azerbaijan, and part of that is we think of that as so remote, we think of that as so far away. Um, remind well, us what what. What part of the world we're talking about when we're talking about Armenia, when we're talking about our Armenian people, when we're talking about Azerbaijan, and when we're talking about Belarus? Well,
3: Belarus is a little bit separate from Armenia and Azerbaijan, but Armenia and Azerbaijan are in the Caucasus, and they are um, economically significant because in Azerbaijan is the oil city of Baku, which since the turn of the century has been been producing oil that has been exported to Russia and many other countries. So it's quite a significant economic hub of the whole Caucasus region. But it's made more complicated by the... um, Internally rivalries between these two different communities, which have a different faith and different alliances. For example, the Armenians on the whole have been supported by the ethnic Russians, but the Azerbaijanis have been supported by the Turks. So you then have another dynamic, Turkey's aspirations to be a sort of Renaissance um, Ottoman Empire Islamic State under Erdogan, and Russia's sort of interest in preserving control over all the areas in which it traditionally had control when the Soviet Union was in existence. So there are a lot of cross currents here, and I think. The reason most Americans are not aware of this is, to be honest, very few of them have any knowledge of geography, let alone history, in different parts of the world. So, unfortunately, they're not able to understand the dynamic of this.
0: Well, which was precisely why I thought I would ask you to address it. Um, so, Belarus is a nation just to the west. It borders Russia on the west. Uh Kazakhstan is the long border that Russia has uh, along its southern border, but then I would also describe it as somewhat eastern in nature. It is the buffer between Russia and China. And when we're talking about um, the Armenian people and when we're talking about Azerbaijan, we're talking about that side of things over there. Yes. Is that fair to say? And then we've also got... Iran and Turkey I mean we're, we're this region that we're in um, is between the black and Caspian Seas might be another way of describing it is that is that a fair description
3: yeah, that is a fair description it's an area of the world that most people even those who are interested in geography don't pay a lot of attention to but it's a source of a tremendous amount of hostility between ethnic, different ethnic and religious groups, and we ignore it at our peril when some really serious controversy comes up, as it has done, between the Armenians and the Azerbaijanis. Um, I was in Azerbaijan, actually, just after uh, the Soviet Union under Gorbachev had uh tried to suppress an opposition uprising. And I went from the uh I went to Baku and I got a real sense of the intense nationalist passion for people living in Azerbaijan and particularly in Baku. Uh so I was aware for a long time that this this controversy was going to continue to flare up from time to time unless somebody really got a good control over it
0: all right david let's take a very brief break when we come back let's uh let's talk about china um and let's talk about human rights that conversation up next with david Aikman. we'll be right back <laughs> Continue my conversation with David Aikman. Um, David, let's talk about China. Um, we have so many, so many directions that we can go with China conversations today. What do you want to what do you want to bring into relief um, as a part of today's conversation with China in view?
3: Well, I think um, China has been the target of a lot of accusations, mostly by Western countries at the U.N. for its human rights 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 abuses against the Uyghurs of Xinjiang. And at the same time, China is continuing to militarize its outposts in the South China Sea, which you may recall Xi Jinping, the Chinese communist leader, assured President Obama at a meeting in the White House that China would never militarize or develop into military outposts. Unfortunately, that has proven not to be the case. And in the most bizarre situation, uh, Chinese propaganda under Xi Jinping is now asserting that the Chinese people, people's happiness is on the rise. Now, how you ever determine that when the Chinese don't do any independent studies of what that people think about anything, I cannot imagine. But we're dealing, unfortunately, with a major world power which has a seriously paranoid uh, viewpoint of how its population is thinking. search. It's really quite serious.
0: Well, David, um, I can answer your question about how they have determined um, that happiness is on the rise. Um, they are in the midst of a week-long online event to spread mid-autumn festival joy.
3: Ah, Yes, well, I know about the mid-autumn festival. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful traditional Chinese celebration, and I've enjoyed that uh, many times in and out of China, in Chinese communities. And they have a wonderful um, dessert that they produce at the Big Harvest Festival. It's well worth waiting for It has something to not- do with
0: the moon, right? I mean, the moon is That's a part much- of the. Yeah. All right. So we'll. Much- uh, we'll yeah. We will keep. We will keep our eye on that. Um, and I, I've also be- become aware of that we need to be paying attention to what China is doing in relationship to. Uh, the people of Tibet as well. But I want to be sure right. that we cover this news from the Korean Peninsula. So talk with us about, right. um, about the developments there.
3: Well, China is, of course, the only country with the power to put influence on North Korea. And China has assured the U.S. many times that it is doing its best to keep North Korea in line, because the last thing China wants is a a nuclear-powered North Korea sitting next to it in the north of the country and threatening mayhem against anybody else, including the United States. China does not want to be drawn in a conflict again, as in the original Korean War in the 1950s with the United States, but China doesn't seem to be doing very much to bring, Xi, to bring Kim, Il-jong, Kim Jong-un into line. They're not seeming really to put any pressure on him, though by limiting oil exports to North Korea, they could significantly influence the course of North Korea. And foreign policy and relations on the international, in the international arena. And unfortunately, they're not doing any of that.
0: So apparently last week, uh, North Korea killed a South Korean official, and now North Korea is accusing South Korea of, of crossing a disputed sea border because they are now looking for the body of that official it is kind of rare that uh, Kim, Kim Jong Un has uh, apparently apologized for the death of that official, but there's definitely an escalation of tension in the region.
3: That's right, yes. And I, I, as I say, it is unprecedented that he would apologize. And that, I think, is a sign that he probably doesn't want this particular misadventure to develop into a serious hot war between the two countries. But it's difficult to predict with North Korea when they are serious about making peace with other people or they're just uh, making a show of goodwill, but they're not following through with any action.
0: All right. And then um, anything, uh, you and I have so many other things we could talk about today. Um, Anything else going on in your neck of the woods that you would just want us to know about?
3: Well, yes, I mean, I think the whole um, coronavirus issue, which is flaring up in Europe in a very serious way, and in the UK, it's gotten to the point that students at some universities are being told they have to stay at home for 14 days because too many students are coming up with the virus, testing positive for it. So the coronavirus seems to have continued its hold on the social and economic life of the whole of Europe, in and out of the EU, in a way that's really quite serious.
0: All right, David, we, um, you and I will have to leave it right there. We'll have to pick up stories from other places um, next week. Thank you, as always, for joining us. And I th- I'm pretty sure that next Monday... Um, you know the big moon festival begins, so there you go. Moon moon pies okay. for everybody. Moon pies would well, be the thing make, in my uh, part of the world. I don't know what if it's called the same thing.
3: Well, uh, moon moon cake. Uh, give moon cake. Things to... Yeah. I, all I, I all right. I'll uh,
0: I'll bring the moon pie. You bring the moon cake. How's that sound?
3: All right. Okay. All right. We'll
0: meet. We'll meet right back here. Hey, uh, David Aikman, thank you, as always. We really appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Tommy.
0: Absolutely. We'll We'll be right back. All right, for those of you not familiar with the Moon Pie, it is a marshmallow cookie sandwich covered with traditionally chocolate. I don't know. Now they cover them with all kinds of other things uh it it's been around since 1917 so those of you adding me about what is a moon pie um it's a thing it's a thing all right there you go moon cake moon pie there's moon cheese you familiar with moon cheese paul that's something i am not familiar with moon cheese and i'm a cheese guy so i'm telling you moon cheese is now a thing so anyway all (laughs) and and i say all of that we kind of jokingly but here's the reality as people from other cultural heritages are celebrating things it is an opportunity for us as christians to engage and to do so in positive ways, and then to recognize the differences between their worldview and ours. It's a its a point of beginning a conversation. And so go ahead and consider the the heritage and the history of the Chinese Moon Festival. They're going to be entering into it, billions of people entering into uh, this particular celebration in the coming days. By next Monday, it'll be in full swing. So you know, time to talk about the moon cake and the moon pie and the moon cheese and the moon and who set it in its uh, in its orbit, um, and to whom it gives honor and glory, right? We're talking about the Creator God, and it's an opportunity to do just that, and to have a worldview conversation with somebody whose beliefs are very, very different than ours. All right, so let's engage in the conversations of the day. Let's do so wins- winsomely, and, you know, maybe even have a little fun while we're doing it. Have a great day, and God bless.